Hey, what's up, everybody? Greatest show on dirt coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studios. Today's Tuesday. I am your host, Quinn. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. Baseball's not going to happen until mid-May, but I'm going to keep trucking with the podcast. I don't know what I'm going to say or what I'm going to talk about because there's nothing that's really happening, but here we are. So we're going to do it to it. I'm. Um, it's just past midnight, so it's 12, 13 a.m., I'm loaded up on espresso. Like, I'm pushing my deodorant to its limit. And, like, I'm wearing all-natural deodorant because I'm just trying not to get aluminum in my body. But at this point, like, I might need to take the all-timers because I'm just drinking so much espresso. But I love it. I got this espresso maker. You just put it on the stove. You can make, like, six shots of espresso, like, in five minutes. And, boy, I'm doing it, dude. I'm getting so much done. Like, I vacuumed the stairs and, like, I put an entertainment center type thing together for my wife. Like, I feel like Michael Keaton on Multiplicity, except there's just one of me, dude. Like, it, it, it's wild. I think people might think I'm on meth. I'm not really too sure, but, like, here we go. Okay, dude, it's, um, like I said, baseball mid-May, man. It's scary. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. I, I realize, like... That's all I do is baseball stuff. So now that baseball's not here, I'm just sort of like, am I like a loser? Like, do I not have anything else to do besides baseball stuff? I'm like, well, I'm okay with that. You know, I've been keeping myself busy, right? I keep an Easton baseball bat underneath my bed. And every night before bed, I take a lot of practice swings in the bathroom (laughs) right in front of the mirror. I can tell you this. I've got my Sammy Sosa toe tap down to perfection. My Griffey Jr. batting stance. I'm working on like some Fred McGriff. Like I could be a switch hitter. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to get ready for a beer softball league if it ever happens. And honestly, like I'm going to be a threat. Like I'll tell you that right now. My wife, she's like, what are you doing swinging a baseball bat in front of the bathroom mirror in your underwear? And I'm like, I'm preparing, (laughs) right? Like I'm protecting our family because the plague's happening, right? People are out there buying ammo and toilet paper, and I'm like, bro, I'm just like swinging a baseball bat in my underwear, and I bought 10 boxes of ice cream sandwiches at the store the other day. Like, I bought just the toilet paper I needed. Like, I don't need that much toilet paper. Like, I don't have the sort of bowel problems that folks out there are having. Like, I don't eat Taco Bell. Like, why is everybody buying this toilet paper? Like, do you have a stomachache? Like, can I tell you about Pepto-Bismol? Like, what are you doing, dude? But I loaded it up and ice cream sandwiches my wife goes to the store and she's like hey man what do you need and i'm like give me some ice cream sandwiches like some cherry pop tarts some minute rice some espresso and like maybe some flintstone vitamins so like i can boost up my immune system some vodka because that's like an old world method right you use Right, if you have an outside wound, you use rubbing alcohol. If you have an inside wound, I think you're supposed to use drinking alcohol, right? Like, I'm like, yeah, get vodka, right? Like, what would Nolan Ryan do if he was like worried about the coronavirus, which he might be somewhere in Texas? Like, I could see Nolan Ryan just being like, give me a, give me a vodka and like some leather. And like, what? Like, he's just going to drink vodka and eat leather. <laughs> like, that's how I envision Nolan Ryan. Just like getting through this sort of thing. It's wild stuff, man. 
But I got my priorities straight, right? Like, I may not have any toilet paper, but I got ice cream sandwiches, and that's the next best thing, man. I love them, dude. That's my go-to, though, man. Like, in the summer months, like, tell me, is there much anything better than being a kid on your bicycle, and then you hear the ice cream truck, like, come through the neighborhood? Like, an ice cream sandwiches were my go-to, dude. And, like, I love them, right? Like, give me the electric chair. I want some ice cream sandwiches before, you know, for my last meal, right? And, but what's funny is, like, that makes me think when we were kids, there was a uh, a truck that used to drive through the neighborhood and spray for bugs. And so all the smoke would come out the back because it's, like, bug spray. But the, a big truck... And we used to ride behind the uh, the truck. <laughs> we used to ride behind the truck that would spray for bugs because we like to ride behind the smoke. Like, I know that's not healthy. Like, I probably don't have the coronavirus, but I probably have some weird form of cancer but from riding behind the bug truck. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Did they ever come to your neighborhood where, like, the truck would spray for bugs and just be, like, tons of smoke? Yeah, I like to ride behind it. What's the problem with that? Um... <laughs> uh, Wild stuff, though, man. I'll tell you this, though. I uh, I hope baseball comes back. I hope it does soon. I need it. I don't know what I'll do without it. But yeah, mid-May's the date. I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos, which is great. There's all kinds of like old stuff right on YouTube. And my buddy Chris, uh, my buddy Chris Odom, he sent me a link the other day to a phenomenal YouTube channel. Hold on. I'm about to tell it to you right now. Let me go on my messages here real quick. My buddy Chris said, go to a YouTube channel called SW561. That's S as in Sam and W as in whiskey. 561. He said that's a good channel. He said it's got old Sports Center and Baseball Tonight highlights from 90 to 95, a bunch of vintage Bonds, Griffey Jr., Big Hurt, legit, dude. Go to SW561 YouTube channel. Apparently it's legit, man. Like that's the deal. Um yeah, dude, but um let's Oh, what else do I have to talk about here, man? I eh, I'll tell you this though. There are other problems in the uh like the coronavirus thing, man, it's it's pushing things back. It's sort of like, I so mid-May is the date with Major League Baseball. And, I mean, it could extend beyond that for sure. Like, mid-May is the earliest date. And I listened to Joe Rogan's podcast the other day, and he had this, uh, like, biology dude on there. Like, this dude that studies, like, infectious diseases. He called himself a infectious disease detective, right? He studies them. He studies how they work, sort of like how long they last and stuff like that. And he said that this thing could last like six months. And right now it's just at the beginning. And I think that's sort of why like, you know, the NCAA basketball tournament, that whole thing just got canceled. And with the basketball tournament, that also canceled the College World Series, which isn't until months down the road. And a lot of folks around that, when they heard about the College World Series being canceled, they're like, what's going on? Like, why would you cancel the College World Series like that far ahead? And it sort of just, um, you know, boggled some people's minds. Well, they didn't get it, right? And But like to hear the guy on Joe Rogan's podcast talk about that this coronavirus is just at the beginning and could last like six months. He said like the summer heat's not really going to take care of it. And it, it's just the coronavirus isn't going to go away when it gets warm, right? And I think you see it with like college basketball and then like the College World Series and the Major League Baseball right now, right? This is March. 
thir- this is March 17th, right? And so you're talking mid-May, like baseball right now is saying that they're not going to play for two months. That's crazy. Like, couldn't they have just left it for like two weeks and just keep extending it? I mean, I guess Major League Baseball wants to give folks expectations. Players want answers. Fans obviously want answers. But that seems like a long time from now, right? Where could you think like two months from now, like we still might be dealing with this? Well, to hear the guy on Joe Rogan's podcast, that could absolutely be happening. And which is sort of one of the reasons why, you know, you're hearing about like self-quarantine and social distancing, right? They want you to just like stay away from people, right? Which me, I'm totally fine with that. If you want me to sit at home all day, stay away from people and watch baseball all day, like I can absolutely do that. Like I'm a hermit by nature. Like I'm like Ted Kaczynski minus the bombing. Like all my, it's my dream to stay at home and do nothing forever. I'm like the guy off office space, right? And that's what they say. Like I'm already working from home. Folks want you to practice social distancing and like all the biggest struggle in my day-to-day is figuring out how to lie to people when they want me to hang out with them. Hey, do you want to go get drinks after work? Hey, do you want to go on a double date with me and my girlfriend? And I'm like, uh, 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 I have diarrhea. I can't go, right? Like, I'm a liar, and I lie about that stuff. If you're listening to this and you've ever asked to hang out with me, just know if I said no, which I surely did, that I lied to you 100% thought of some bullcrap excuse on the spot. I'm like Michael Scott when I lie. I'm just, like, super shifty, and I, like, look up in the air, right? Like, I don't want to hang out with people. I'm 36 years old. My back hurts just all the time. I'm too old for this. I can't do it, right? So like now, like I have the government's permission to ignore family and friends and everybody. I have the government's permission to sit in my house, eat ice cream sandwiches and watch baseball on YouTube. And guess what? I'm sort of okay with it. This is like a school day when you were a kid. I mean, no, 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 like a snow day, a snow day when you were a kid. Do you remember, if you're my age, I'm 36, if you remember waking up at like 5 a.m. and watching the news with your dad and being like, hey, man, is my school about to be canceled? And then when school's canceled, you get that like exciting feeling where it's like, I don't have to do anything. I can just like live my life, go out and like throw snowballs at people and stuff like that. Well, being a 36-year-old, all it is is my dream for something to happen and the authorities to say, Don't leave your house. Go to the store and buy as much food as you can and don't leave your house. I'm like, yes, please. Let's go, dude. So excited about it. I'll sit on my couch forever. I have a dream and that dream is doing nothing. You want me to not go to the gym? I'll be glad to not go to the gym. You want me to avoid large gatherings? Absolutely. (laughs) Like, I'll do it. Let's roll, man. Um... The baseball season, though, starting, dude, right mid-May is what it's set now. Like, do I think it could go past mid-May? I I think it very likely that the start of the baseball season could extend beyond May, and the season might not start till June. That's going to make things really weird because baseball players, obviously, it sounds cliche, but they are. They are – my computer is about to do something weird – Baseball players are like creatures of habit, right? They have their routines because baseball is such a hard sport to play, right? Like Major League Baseball is not like basketball. It's not like football. It's not like other sports where you could essentially like will your way to win, right? With baseball, it's sort of like a finesse sport. 
right? Hitting, like if you play football and you have the football in your hand, if you run as hard as you can and hit people as hard as you can, you're going to do really good. But like in baseball, you just can't go out there as a pitcher and throw the ball as hard as you can. Or like you can't go out and swing a baseball bat as hard as you can. Because if that happens, like you're going to suck and you're going to get hurt, right? With baseball, like when you're a pitcher, it's about like replicating your delivery, getting your mechanics right, getting up to game speed, going five, six, seven innings, 100 pitches and over, right? You need that in-game action to, you know, build yourself up. That's why Major League Baseball has a spring training that, hell, starts like the first week of February when folks start to report because you've got to have that routine built up to do it really well because it's such a finesse sport. And it's like that when you're a hitter as well, you know, it's it's timing it's pitch recognition. It's also having your mechanics right, having your swing right. You know, if you get, you know, you come into the season and you have that off season off and something just might be up out of the gate where like you picked up a bad habit and, you know, maybe because you got drunk and played wiffle ball in the backyard, right? Now you want to uppercut everything, right? It's a really weird thing. So with this weird start to the season, it's like spring training was coming along, spring training. Games got canceled last Thursday, which was what, like the the 12th or something like that, right? And like everyone's getting ramped up and then now they have to stop. And it's like, whoa, you know, and you, you worry about pitchers getting injured when they come back, you know, trying to rush things. Trevor Bauer said when the season gets to be announced, he would need like three to four weeks to ramp up. And that's like, Holy crap. Okay, and that's from a guy, you know, Trevor Bauer's a pretty durable guy who can easily throw over 200 innings, and if he's not cutting his finger off with a drone, he's a pretty durable guy, right? And he's a young guy. You know, so you're talking about guys like Dallas Keuchel, John Lester, Jake Arrieta, where it's like, bro, like, these guys are messed up. Like, and it's unfortunate, right? There's really no pretty way to do this. So I think that's sort of why Major League Baseball has you know, sort of announced this like two months ahead to sort of give players expectations because it's very much needed. I, um, that, that's all I know on that, man. Sort of how I led with this podcast is like, I didn't know what I was really going to talk about because there's not much going on, but that's definitely one of the huge things that's happening, you know, and really that's all you want to know is when is the season going to start and what's going to be the effect of it? You know, I think at this point, Major League Baseball still determined to do 162 games. I, I think that for sure has to be financially because teams are, are going to always make a certain amount of money every year. And the more games, the more money you're going to make. But I would like to not see Major League Baseball force 162 games because you're going to come to a point where you run players into the ground. I think that's too much pressure to put on players and coaches and everybody because if you're just getting over this coronavirus pandemic, and then you want to force these players to play 162 games, all the travel and the day games and the double headers. And like, it's hot in July. Like I don't play baseball, but when I go outside in the summer, my thighs rub together so bad. It just hurts. And I can't get enough baby powder to fix it. Right. So like with these baseball players, dude, it's, it's rough stuff, man. Um, Okay, what else to talk about besides my need for baby powder? Uh, Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds came out the other day, said he feels like he's received a death sentence from the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. He's getting no love from him. He's got, I think, three years left on the ballot. 
He doesn't feel good about his place in Major League Baseball. And, I mean, he's not wrong. You know, he said that he feels like he's getting swept into irrelevance to the point where it feels like a death sentence, right? He he tells Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, hey, if they don't want me, just say you don't want me and be done with it. Well, the rules say you can't be done with it for... I think 10 years. So I think they're sort of telling you that they don't want you. But listen, here's the thing with Barry Bonds, right? Barry Bonds feels like he's got a death sentence from Major League Baseball, from the Hall of Fame. He feels like he's getting swept into irrelevance. Well, he is, right? He's getting swept into irrelevance because he's not telling the truth and Major League Baseball doesn't want a part of it, right? There are plenty of fans out there that love the steroid era, okay? And I mean, this stuff's fun to watch, like 1998 season, busting out home runs, big dudes. Like, dude, I love it. Like, I love watching Barry Bonds home runs on YouTube, man, where he just about hits someone at a Yankee Stadium off Theodore Roosevelt Lilly. It's a great home run, buddy. But listen to me, man. Barry Bonds obviously started taking steroids after the 19 after the 98 season and he knew it right and folks are a little smarter than that now and we realize that he when he said in the court proceedings that he didn't knowingly take steroids and he thought Greg Anderson was giving him flaxseed oil for his joints well listen buddy what type of flaxseed oil puts you 40 pounds of muscle up like I want to get some of that like he knew he was taking steroids right and Major League Baseball is just not going to have any of it and honestly like, I can't blame him because it makes the thing so weird, right? If you look at Alex Rodriguez, he's an open book at this point. He's very transparent. He He's quick to tell you the truth, and it's sort of, um, he's not scared about it. You know, Alex Rodriguez will come right out and say, laughing, that he made a bunch of dumb mistakes while playing Major League Baseball, that he was a jerk, that he served the longest Major League Baseball suspension in the history of the game, right? It's a lot of self-deprecation in there, and honestly, it's funny. It's something we can all relate to, I think, as human beings, because we all do dumb stuff, right? I bought ice cream sandwiches instead of toilet paper and water, right? I don't know if I'm going to live or die due to the coronavirus, but I know I got ice cream sandwiches, pal. Listen to me, though. With Barry Bonds, listen, if Barry Bonds wants this to end, I think he sort of kind of has to do what the Cubs want from Sammy Sosa, right? Like, you can't just come back into the game and act like you didn't take a bunch of steroids, man. Like, you can't just act like, I mean... I thought it was flaxseed oil, so I rubbed it on my shoulders. Like, bro, that's a bunch of crap. So, like, if you want to sit back, I love Barry Bonds as a baseball player, as an athlete. The fact that he was like a prick, like, I sort of dig that. Like, my favorite baseball players are the edgy ones, right? Like, I really, really like it. But Barry Bonds stepped on a lot of riders, a lot of dudes. He was not a nice guy in the game, so... I think I don't know why at this point Barry Bonds doesn't come out and just be honest about it, sort of like what McGuire did, sort of like what Alex Rodriguez did, because I think there are a lot of people that would understand what Barry Bonds did. Barry Bonds obviously started taking steroids after the 1998 season because Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, and the league's best dudes were all juicing, so he did it. Now, Barry Bonds can't blame his problems and his decision to take steroids, that cannot be blamed on others, right? So him taking steroids is solely on him, and he made that decision. But it's sort of an understandable decision when you're in that world, right? You're thinking in terms of baseball, success, career, competition, right? It's easy for me to say on the outside, all right, dummy, why'd you take steroids for? But when that's the life you live 24-7, 
it doesn't seem that bad. So, of course, he did. So, Barry, yeah, this isn't going to end until you come out and be honest with you. If Barry would just come out and be honest, be like, listen, man, I want to compete, right? And I'm not blaming the fact that I took steroids on Sosa and McGuire, but I wanted to compete, and I knew I was better than those guys, so I did it. Bro, people would love him for it, man. They would. Barry Bonds is a way better player than Alex Rodriguez ever was. So for him to, like, be back in baseball... I think would be so important. He sucks at a hitting coach, but come on, Barry, tell us. Tell us what happened. Tell us what you did, because we know it wasn't flaxseed oil, bro, that you were rubbing on your shoulders, man. Come on, guy. I want to see you in the Hall of Fame, and it seems to be that Barry Bonds is sort of a good guy now. He comes out in oftentimes in conversations that he has, like he had with The Athletic, and when he was a hitting coach with the Marlins, he'll sort of have like he'll sort of do what Alex Rodriguez does like he'll come out and be like man I was a jerk when I was a player like I wasn't a nice guy I had a I had a chip on my shoulder I didn't know how to handle the fame you know I've been in this clubhouse you know since I was five years old with uh you know my father and my godfather right it's sort of like a child actor you know they're gonna get a little weird you don't know how they're gonna act man and I think at this point Barry's a likable guy and could be even more likable he just come out and be honest with us, man. That's all we want. That's it. That's it. That's it, man. And at that point, Major League Baseball will have you back, dude. You'll be a huge part of it. You could easily find yourself in the Hall of Fame because before, and he, you know, here's the thing about Barry Bonds is if he had never taken steroids, he still could have ended his career very likely with 120 war and just not had... 762 home runs, right? I feel like if Barry Bonds never took steroids, he would probably have ended his career with like 600 home runs, 600 steals, 300 batting average, and went down with like 100 plus war and went down as one of the greatest left-handed hitters that had ever played the game. So it's sort of a shame that he took steroids, right? Like you talk about what if stories in Major League Baseball, and you want to point to guys like Bo Jackson Eric Davis, Mark Fidrich, like, what about, like, the what if with Barry Bonds? Like, what could he have done naturally? You know, we look at Barry Bonds now, and we say, oh, steroids, right? He played till he was 42 steroids, right? We never saw his natural decline. Like, what if with Barry Bonds, like, there was never a natural decline? What if Barry Bonds was the hitting version of Nolan Ryan, and he's 42 years old, batting 300, hitting 30 home runs and stealing 30 bases, and he's just slim and lean and in great shape because that's just who he was genetically. Right now, Barry Bonds looks like he could get on a baseball field. And honestly, I think that in itself is a pretty big what-if story. What if Barry Bonds never took steroids? Could he have been the type of guy like Nolan Ryan who never really had a decline and just had to stop playing because his body just quit all of a sudden? Like, Nolan Ryan was still pitching and then tore his elbow ligament and had to have Tommy John, so he just retired. And he was like 44 years old. Like, And it was amazing to see a human being push themselves to these, like, godly limits of just like wow like it's amazing to see I think one of the greatest things about sports is to see people push themselves to that uncomfortable place for them to do things beyond what the normal person can do like a superhero or something and that's sort of what we miss with Barry Bonds because he took steroids we never got to see him just naturally get old and defy all expectations and sort of sad you know because you look at Barry now and you're like 
post-99 season, you're like, steroids. But if he never took anything, hell, he could have been a 600-600 guy. 3,000 hits, all the good records, crazy. 120 war, he still could have done it. I believe it in my heart, man. And I'd still put him in the Hall of Fame. I would put Barry Bonds in the Hall of Fame because it's a hell of a baseball story that man is. I'm telling you. Justin Verlander's out six weeks. He tore his groin or had to have groin surgery, which that's good for me. I have Justin Verlander on my fantasy team, so that's cool. So pretty convenient, man. You're going to see a lot of guys just probably getting cut open because the season's not going to start until mid-May. But listen to this, though. I bet every New York Yankee, like deep down, I wonder if Brian Cashman deep down is like, Thank God for this coronavirus because all of his players were getting injured again. And if they can get like an extra six weeks to get this thing going, like the Yankees are going to be in good shape. But yeah, Verlander's out, man. He um, started a couple spring training games, man. I'm really interested to see sort of how Justin Verlander, you know, I think you're looking at sort of like a, you could be looking at a baseball immortal here. You know, Justin Verlander sort of on my shit list because he sort of was always an outspoken guy on sign stealing and then played on a team that stole signs for like two years. So it's just like, come on, man. Like, what the heck, dude? He's uh, 37 years old, man. I don't know what's going to happen this season. You worry about a decline with Verlander, man. You sort of worry about a lot about the Houston Astros, man, because they have Zach Granke, which is a phenomenally funny guy, and he's also pitching really well. He's got, dude, he's got like one of the best. He's got... The EFIS pitch, bro, and it's like 60 miles an hour, and it's just the best junk ball pitch ever. And, you know, you look at the Astros, and you're like, man, okay, Verlander's hurt, and he can come back healthy. You know, I like to compare Justin Verlander to sort of like a modern-day Nolan Ryan, but he's not as cool and doesn't throw as hard and doesn't have his own steakhouse. So whatever, man. He's not from Texas. Nolan Ryan could be anybody up. I'm telling you right now, if Nolan Ryan got the coronavirus, the coronavirus would have to go in isolation for two weeks, bro, and it would probably just end with Nolan Ryan, right? Because he would just slaughter the virus because he's a freaking man. Um, But then, like, the starting rotation is weird with the Astros. You know, now that you got Verlander hurt, I got to plug in my laptop. Now that you got Verlander hurt, you're sort of just like, bro, like, okay, Verlander's hurt. We got Zach Granke. We don't, uh, we don't have Garrett Cole. We got Lance McCullers Jr. Who's got like a nasty curveball. But, you know, beyond that, they've got, um, I don't know what else, man. Like they might be in trouble, dude. They, yeah, they might be. I don't know what else is going to happen, but so Verlander's, Verlander's on the, he's, he's out, bro. Um, Trevor Bauer had a wiffle ball game with some dudes for charity. I didn't watch it. Apparently, it was super boring. I think Trevor Bauer is so annoying, but I think it's really cool that he had a wiffle ball game with some major and minor league players. I think that's great. I think that's the type of stuff that major league baseball players that I just wish they would do, man. Just get goofy, get a little wild. You know, like I would love to see guys like Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant and just like, all my favorite baseball players just, I don't know, find a find a baseball field, get, I don't know, about 12 cases of bush ice and, you know, get a couple of wiffle ball sets from Dollar General and just go out and just get nasty with it, man. You know, that'd be the greatest thing ever. All right. In other baseball news, Aaron Judge recently told the New York Yankees to go along with his fractured rib that he had that he also had a collapsed lung. That's a little alarming. Those aren't normal baseball injuries. Either Aaron Judge is in a fight club, which at 6'8", 280, I would really hate to see the other guy. Or maybe he's bull riding with Madison Bumgarner, a.k.a. Mason Saunders, which if you haven't heard about, 
A few weeks ago, we learned that Madison Bumgarner over the past three years has been entering bull riding lasso competitions, whatever folks do that do that. <laughs> um, under an alias, he's basically been riding bulls or lassoing bulls under an alias, Mason Saunders, to keep it a secret from everybody. And now folks have found out, and I'm pretty sure, one, I love it, to be honest with you. It is the most Ron Swanson, Duke Silver thing you could possibly do. And I, I assume the Diamondbacks are going to make him quit. If Madison Bumgarner was my pitcher, I let him keep riding bulls and doing his thing, you know. I, truth be told, I don't think he's riding him. I think he lassos. I think maybe he gets on a bull and lassos like a calf is what it is. And if that's what makes him happy, here's the thing with Madison Bumgarner. Like, you got to let him be him. He's just a country boy, and he's tough. He's not like a normal pitcher who's not going to play if he's got, like, a blister on his finger. Like, this dude is country tough, and he's just not your normal guy. Like, <laughs> Madison Bumgarner is the real Ron Swanson. Like, I'm pretty sure he could drink a gallon of moonshine and just be perfectly fine. That's who he is. Now, is it sort of coincidence that he's got this Duke Silver-esque alias and he's lassoing cattle no not at all so if i'm the diamondbacks i let him lasso cattle but aaron judge and john carlos stanton i don't think i let them leave the house at this point not because of the coronavirus because i don't want them to get hurt because right now john carlo and aaron they're like we'll be ready for opening day whenever it is like we're healthy right now and at that point i put them in a bubble because one's going to strain a groin one's going to strain a calf and then it's going to be over and the yankees have lost so many players to everything it becomes a real life final destination and i'm not sure they won't be driving down the road in some freak accident with a lumber logger truck's going to just send a rocket tree through the windshield and smash their face like leave him at home man like yeah that's it dude and that's uh okay that's that's it for the baseball segments let's let's talk about something else okay so to get me by in this quarantine because if you're like me you've eaten four weeks of snacks in four days things are looking dire and you just need to do something to keep busy so you don't eat all the food in the house right because at this point the only thing I'm truly working on is never fitting into any of my jeans again, right? My waist is expanding so much. So you would think I was on the steroids that Barry Bonds took, but it's not making my biceps bigger. It's strictly making my waist bigger. Right? Those are problems. So I built a Major League Baseball dream team, but I did so not with your typical Hall of Famers. There's no Babe Ruth, Mike Trout, Mickey Mantle, Sandy Koufax on this list, right? These are strictly a lot of my favorite players and a lot of interesting players. And this was so fun because I learned so much about different players that we'll talk about. I promise not to be boring. It'll be semi-fun. If your employer's still making you go to work, listen to me. Pretend you're doing something. Put your headphones in, and every now and then just like nod your head and type crazily at your keyboard, right? Okay, so here's, listen, here's my Major League Baseball dream team. Now, we're going to start with the outfield, and we're going to start with left field. Now, obviously, the left fielder I picked was Bo Jackson. Any guy that can break a bat over his head is something special. In my mind, Bo is the greatest athlete that ever lived, him and Michael Jordan. And with baseball, like he was only getting better at baseball. So if you go to his baseball reference page, his slugging numbers were up, his strikeout rate was going down, his on-base was going up. Bo was coming into his own. And the interesting thing about Bo Jackson is, we found this out a couple of years ago, he was just about ready to walk away from football because he wanted to dedicate 
his his athleticism right to baseball right which is a super cool story i thought is bo jackson's mother passed away like three weeks after i think he had his hip replaced and his mom asked him goes bo are you gonna play football again or are you gonna play baseball again and bo told his mom he goes if i rehab well enough i'll play baseball again and the first hit will be for you when bo jackson came back to baseball the first hit he got was a home run the fan gave him the ball back and he's got it mounted in his house in dedication to his mom. Um, obviously, Bo Jackson wildcard game, NFL against the Cincinnati Bengals. He popped his hip out of place, right? And what was interesting about that is Dr. James Andrews is the guy that did his hip work after the injury. And the good Doc Andrews said that any mortal man would have walked away from that play. What it was is Bo was running. He got tackled from the back, stopped dead in his tracks and taken down, right? Super simple tackle, but Bo doesn't get up from it. He rolls over, pops his own hip into place, which at the time, team doctors were like, that's impossible. But it was later found out that it was 100% true. And Dr. James Andrews was like, listen, any guy that gets hit like that walks away from the injury. But because Bo Jackson was so powerful and he had this just this sheer velocity, this powerful movement, the second he got tackled from the back because he was moving with such power... Just the impact of his body just coming down on itself when he got stopped in his tracks, that's what did that to his hip. And no other mortal's going to pop his hip back into place, right? His first professional home run was a minor league baseball game, I think it was with the Memphis Chicks, was a broken bat home run to left center field. Of course, Bo Jackson's first home run was a broken bat home run. He ran a 4-1-3-40, which is the fastest time ever. The second he signed with the Kansas City Royals, he just went out to take batting practice. Like after he signed the after he signed his contract, he's like, hey, there's not a game for a few hours. Can I go out and hit some baseballs? Kansas City Royals were like, go hit some baseballs. Very first pitch, he hit off the top of the scoreboard, dead center, well over 500 feet off the crown, right? Also, check this out. He, uh, You've seen the video of him when he was on the California Angels the last year of his career, which wasn't a bad season at all. He infamously broke a bat over his knee, slaughtered the bat. It sold. His broken bat that he broke over his knee with the California Angels sold for $14,760 a couple weeks ago. To me, well worth it. I'll cash in a 401k. I'll politely tell my daughter, you're not going to college because dad got a Bo Jackson broken bat. It's legit. But listen, a guy can jump over a Volkswagen, jump over like a 20-foot river. <laughs> listen, Bo Jackson's my left fielder, hands down, end of story. Greatest athlete ever lived. Supremely humble, supremely a nice guy. Just to hear him talk about sports is phenomenal. To watch him play, it's it's a gift. It's a gift to us all. Center fielder, Eric Davis. You want to talk about a what-if story surrounding an, an injury? Eric Davis is that guy. He was a freak in like 132 games in like 1987 or something like that. He hit 37 home runs, 100 ribbies, and stole 50 bases, and he missed 35 games or something ridiculous like that. Could have easily been the first 40-40 guy if... He had just managed to stay healthy and probably hadn't even hit his peak yet. He was such, Eric Davis, such a hardcore player. In game four of what I believe was a 1990 World Series where the Cincinnati Reds swept the heavily favored Oakland Athletics, who were just unbelievable. They were fucking loaded. Oh, gosh, I shouldn't have cut. Sorry, freaking loaded at the time. 
Game four, Eric Davis dies for a ball. And the Eric Davis story that I'm about to tell you is sort of like Bo Jackson popping his hip out. Eric Davis dives for this ball. On the play, he lacerates his kidney in four places and had to have surgery. That is how much velocity he moved with. Cut his kidney up in four places. Listen, this guy throughout his career, if he stayed healthy, He'd have been an easy 500 home run, 500 stolen base guy. No doubt he would have been the first natural athlete to go 40-40. He would have done it multiple times. I believe he was one of the best athletes to ever play baseball in the very same vein as Bo Jackson, right? But on top of that, he was extremely tough. In May of 1997, Eric Davis was diagnosed with colon cancer, okay? colon cancer. So he's getting treatment for it. He's getting chemo the whole night. He's exhausted, dude. This is very taxing on him. But by September of that same year, just months later, while he was still in treatment, Eric Davis came back to baseball. He was with the Baltimore Orioles and he's like, I got colon cancer. We're getting chemo. I think I just want to play baseball. And on top of that, he hit a game-winning home run in the 1997 ALCS with colon cancer while going under treatment for colon cancer. What in the world? Paul O'Neill. You know Paul O'Neill. He was on the New York Yankees teams, a few of them that uh, were loaded and won some World Series. Paul O'Neill confidently said that Eric Davis was the best hitter, the best runner, and the best outfielder, the best everything he saw. Super powerful swing. He wasn't a big guy, but a guy that still hit for power because of how he swung the bat and just how he was able to generate his power. A swing with efficiency. I mean, I don't even know how big Eric Davis was. Here, let me get you his height and weight real quick because it's Eric Davis. Because it's just so impressive about the power he was able to generate. This is a guy that was 6'2", 165 pounds who hit 37 home runs in 129 games and stole 50 bases. Very, very impressive athlete and would no doubt be my starting center fielder and would have absolutely went down as one of the game's all-time greats had he been able to stay healthy. My right fielder, Dave Parker. He was the first pro athlete to earn a million dollars a year with his five-year, $5 million deal. He was a 1979 World Series champion with the We Are Family Pittsburgh Pirates. Had a huge influence on that team on top of other teams he went to, including the Cincinnati Reds, which Eric Davis and Barry Larkin were on, and the Milwaukee Brewers, guys like Gary Sheffield were on huge influence, big clubhouse guys. In my opinion, his war won't say it, but he should absolutely be a Hall of Famer, okay? He had a powerful arm. He won three consecutive gold gloves, won back-to-back batting titles, and won an MVP award, right? So this is a guy that could obviously bat for average and could hit for power, right? From 75 to 79, listen, about his arm, from 75 to 79, he gunned out 72 runners, including in 1977, gunned out 26 guys from right field. You're talking the real Uncle Rico right here. I throw throw a baseball back quarter mile. I believe it, Dave Parker. He won the first ever home run derby when he was with the Pirates AAA team in Charleston, West Virginia. He hit a, this is so crazy. He hit a home run that landed on a coal car that was passing on a train. And someone picked that same ball up later in Columbus, Ohio. Like, how wild of a story is that? In, I think, 79, 1979, the year he won, no, no, no. I take that back. In 1978, Dave Parker won his MVP award. 
And that same year, he had a home plate collision, right? He broke his jaw and his cheekbone. He wore a Jason Voorhees mask the rest of the season and still won the batting title in National League MVP. Broken jaw, broken cheekbone. He yeah, he literally had a Jason Voorhees mask. He wore a football helmet for a little while. He looked scary. He would warm up in the on-deck circle with a sledgehammer. Bro, <laughs> like, what in the world? Like, oh, I'm trying to get me a sledgehammer. I got to warm up on deck. That's such a power move. You want to intimidate a pitcher, put on a Jason Voorhees mask and a sledgehammer. That's what Dave Parker did, man. During a game in 79, the year they won the World Series, he literally, quite literally, knocked the cover off the ball. The outfielder got the ball. He was like, what the hell? The outfielder couldn't even throw the ball. He ruptured a seam on the ball, and half the cover came loose, right? He wore the Star of David, right? And a reporter said, Dave, you're not Jewish. Why are you wearing the Star of David? He And he so famously replied, because my name's David and I'm a star. <laughs> what in the world? Um, but you're talking back-to-back batting tiles. He could hit for power. He could steal some bases. And he was an elite defender. So Dave Parker's my right fielder. Hands down, good dude. All right, third baseman, I picked Chris Sabo, the famous wear of Rex Specs, who is also in the same category of guys like, I don't know, Horace Grant, you ever heard of him, James Worthy, Kurt Rambis, Reggie Jackson, Rex Spec guys, put the Rex Specs on, and you're going to be cool. I remember like in the 90s, like watching Horace Grant, and he had the Rex Specs on, and then my older brother was playing basketball, and he wore glasses, so he got some Rex Specs, and I was like, Man, I want to get some Rex Specs. Like, I need to, like, lie about my vision when I go to the doctor next time so I can get some Rex Specs like Chris Sabo and Horace Grant, right? Sabo was a five-year minor leaguer. Yeah, I really would like some Rex Specs. <laughs> and a mullet. <laughs> uh, listen, Chris Sabo was a five-year minor leaguer, right? And folks were like, this guy's not going to make it to the pro level. He's sort of a bum. But then, like, he got called up because someone got hurt, and then he, like, became Rookie of the Year slaughtered it in the World Series, and all of a sudden now he's a Cincinnati legend. Pete Rose loved the guy because Pete Rose is like, bro, Chris Sabo hustles, and that's who he was as the third baseman. Maybe didn't have all the talent in the world. He wasn't a big guy. His nickname was Spuds, but he uh, hustled his ass off, which if you listen to this podcast, I like guys that run him out all 162 games, right? He batted 583 in the World Series he played in. Plus, all through high school, he was a hockey goalie. So, you know, he's tough. Like, no doubt about it. And, oh, oh yeah. I put a note in here, too, that all I wanted when I was a kid was to wear Rex Specs and wear my starter jacket everywhere I went. Charlotte Hornets starter jacket. You remember the three-quarter zip star- starter jackets? Put on one of those, go to the skating rink. Before you know it, you'll be couple skating with Diana, and things are going down in the corner. <laughs> the skating rink was the place, dude. But Spud's Chris Sabo, man. Dude, vintage dude. He be my third baseman. Now, check this out, though. I've got... Jimmy Rollins. Listen, I picked Jimmy Rollins after I had done some research on Jimmy Rollins, right? Like, I didn't keep up with the Phillies, like, when they had their runs. I think Rollins was, like, an 08 MVP, had a phenomenal season, right? Um, I had never heard of the term quadruple double in baseball, and the first year Jimmy Rollins played, he got a quadruple double, and I was like, "What, what the heck is that, man? It's hitting double digits in Doubles, triples, home runs, and stolen bases. That's a versatile guy if you do that. Get double digits and stolen bases and home runs. That's important because that's speed and power. And then doubles and triples as well, especially that triple. That shows speed on the bases. And 
knowledge and just being a good base runner. And good base running, I think, is completely underrated. I think good base running is what a lot of what got the Chicago Cubs in 2016 to a World Series victory. Now, on top of that, there are only four guys in Major League Baseball that are in the 2020-20 club, which is just as impressive as the 40-40 club. The 2020-20 club, which Jimmy Rollins is in, is 20 home runs, 20 triples, 20 doubles, and 20 stolen bases, right? So no cheapies with like, oh, I just barely got like my 10th steal. Those are significant numbers. He was the first major league shortstop ever to make the all-star game in his first two seasons. He had a 38-game hit streak. I miss the hit streak. I think the hit streak needs to come back. No one cares about hit streaks. But am I not the only one who remembers watching SportsCenter as a kid and always getting coverage on like, yo, who had a hit streak? Could anybody do it? Like, whoa. Okay, Jimmy Rollins was also a supremely elite defensive shortstop. Only Omar Vizquel has a better fielding percentage among shortstops who played at least 10 seasons. Elite glove, elite arm, plus range. Also, when he was a kid, he was in MC Hammer videos, which is pretty badass. You know, get some MC Hammer parachute pants on, too legit to quit, right? I was a little more of a vanilla ice um, ninja, ninja, rap. You know what I'm saying on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? But MC Hammer had hits, bro. MC Hammer in the entourage. Get them puffy pants on, bro. And that's, that's all I wanted to do, man. I remember having like MC Hammer pants when I was a kid. And they had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on them. So what's up with that, right? Okay. <laughs> Second base, man. Listen, bro. You remember Dan Ugla? Yo, I completely forgot about Dan Ugla, right? But Dan Ugla had a, a window of about five seasons that were phenomenal. Dan Ugla is second baseman, right? <laughs> if you don't remember him that well, he is the, or at the time at least, I think still is, the only second baseman in Major League history, only second baseman in MLB history, to hit at least 30 home runs in four consecutive seasons. That's unprecedented power for a second baseman. He is the first player in baseball history to be selected for the All-Star game in the same season in which he was a Rule 5 draft pick. And that's how it was. He was a Rule 5 draft pick. And for the Marlins, right? Yeah, Dan Ugla was a Marlin. I had to think about that for a second. (laughs) Um, Yeah, dude, so he was just like basically scrapped to the wayside and they pick him up on a Rule 5, and all of a sudden, he's, yeah, he he's a freaking all-star. I had to check. It was the Diamondbacks that gave up on him, which the Diamondbacks also traded Max Scherzer, so they're not really too good at doing stuff like that. But still, I mean, Ugla had five really good seasons. Uh, his first stolen base ever was stealing home, right? Huge proponent I am of stealing home. I think folks need to do it more. I'm a proponent of actually more stolen bases and a faster game. Whitey Ball, talk to me. Dan Ugly reached 100 home runs, 100 career home runs in his 500 second game. Faster than any other second baseman, which speaks to when he was playing well, unprecedented power, dude. During the 2011 season with the Braves, he, he became the 23rd player in MLB history to have a hitting streak of at least 33 games. Uh, hit streaks, bro. Let's get that going on. <laughs> and but check this out, dude. So, past the 2011 season, he was basically a bum for the Braves. But let, here, here's a weird fact, man. In 2014, he played four games with the Giants, batted like a hundred, and the Giants were like, "We're gonna cut you, bro, because we don't really need you anymore." Joe Panic came up. Joe Panic was doing good. Yo, they gave Dan Ugla still got a World Series ring for the 2014 Giants. 
This is the weirdest thing ever. He went one for 11 as a giant and made two errors. Also, he played in an all-star game and made like three errors, struck out three times. Like it, he he just went like, he just forgot to field. I think like Dan Ugla must have just had the yips or something like that. But for a short window, very power hitting second baseman, crazy stuff. Okay, so my first baseman, I picked Keith Hernandez. Now, I obviously, like, not a Mets fan, not a big Cardinals fan. Like, don't know a ton about Keith Hernandez other than, like, he's a good announcer. He's sort of a wild card. Like, he's like your crazy uncle at Thanksgiving who, like, says a bunch of weird stuff. And you feel like, if I laugh, does that mean I'm, like, racist or sexist? Like, I don't really know. Um, But, like, he's a good time. Like, let's get drunk and go. Okay, but Keith Hernandez, one, should absolutely be in the Hall of Fame, and he's not. I don't know why. He's widely considered to be the best defensive first baseman ever in the history of baseball. 11 straight gold gloves. He had a huge World Series, drove in eight runs with a home run, So he's and that was with the St. Louis Cardinals. He was also a World Series champion with the Mets, named captain of the team, first ever captain of the New York Mets right after that, but the Cardinals got rid of him because he didn't get along with Whitey Herzog, and really, Keith Hernandez was sort of a dick, and a lot of people think that's why he's not in the Hall of Fame, one of the reasons why he's not in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he sat out his entire senior season of high school, and so was drafted in the 41st round, but... He had quick instincts at first base. He could play farther off first than anybody because his instincts were so good, and that allowed other infielders to play farther to the right if they needed to. So because he he had such quick reaction times at first, he positively affected the whole entire infield. He revolutionized the position until umpires disallowed it. He would take pickoff flows pickoff throws by squatting in foul territory at first base so he could tag him and just swipe tag him really quick, right? Crazy. He was known for being one of the most vocal New York Mets in history, and he was also known for his prodigious beer consumption. So obviously, Keith Hernandez is a good time and a great defender, but then guys like David Cohn, Roger McDowell, Ron Darling, all wore number 17 later on in their careers as a tribute to Keith Hernandez because all these guys played with Keith and they liked him that much. So he may have been a little difficult and managers may have had a hard time with him, but he was about the team. He was about the players and other players that he played with. They loved him. 11 gold gloves at first base. That's a major league record for first base that still stands. No one's ever done defensively what he's done at first base. He won an MVP, two World Series champions. Obviously, he was captain of the New York Mets after they won the 86 World Series. I still don't know how this guy is not a Hall of Famer. Oh, listen to this. I, I remember this, but completely forgot about it. But from 80 to 88, Major League Baseball implemented the game winning RBI statistic from 80 to 88. And Keith Hernandez was the leader in that category. He So he was clutch, clutch as can be. But with the Hall of Fame, yeah, he's not in it, man. Folks say that he was sort of a dick, but also they're like, well, Keith didn't have a lot of power. So it's sort of just like first base is a power position. And because he wasn't hitting with power, we're not going to put him, you know, in the Hall of Fame. 
But Keith, I don't care that Keith Hernandez did not have power at first base. Talk to me about 11 gold gloves being a heavy influence on two World Series championship teams, took home a batting title. He could lead the league in on-base percentage. And really, like, that's sort of the thing that counts. And a lot of him coming up on Whitey's team playing Whitey ball, those guys didn't hit home runs. They didn't need to hit home runs to win. That was just it. And, like, Keith Hernandez, proven winner, should absolutely be in the Hall of Fame and could definitely be... One of the, the, the one of the best first basemen that ever lived, and definitely the best defensive first baseman. He um, also got mixed up with cocaine in the Pittsburgh drug trials. That actually also might help to keep him out of the Hall of Fame a little bit. But if Mike Piazza and Yvonne Rodriguez can be in there, who obviously took anabolic steroids, can't Keith get a vote from the Veterans Committee at this point? Man, let this man in, dude. One of the best first basemen of all time. Okay, listen, the closer I picked... Rod Beck, <laughs> you know Rod Beck, huge bushy mustache, long curly mullet out the back. Okay, first of all, Rod Beck's full name is Rodney Roy Beck, and his nickname is Shooter. Like, that's the guy I want to get hammered with and swipe a few nitrous tanks from the local ER and just have a good time. And that is the player that Rod Beck was. Listen, while working his way back to the majors in 2003, Rod Beck pitched for the AAA Iowa Cubs, right? During that time, he lived in his Winnebago, parked just beyond the outfield fence. Fans would drop by for autographs and hang out with Rod Beck for a beer. Dude, he was such a phenomenal teammate and so good for the fans. That's all I want to do. I would love to just sit and have a beer, be on the outfield fence next to one of my favorite ball players hanging outside his Winnebago. Does that not sound like the greatest thing ever? In 1998, he signed as a free agent with the Chicago Cubs. And post-game, Beck and several Cubs teammates would often sit around drinking beer, smoking cigarettes, and just talking baseball after the game. And Kerry Wood was like, listen, you never saw, like, you don't see that stuff anymore. You haven't seen that stuff really since Rod Beck left. Part of the Chicago Cubs problem, which is why Joe Madden got fired and David Ross came in, it's because the Chicago Cubs, like, they don't do anything together. Like, after the games, it was said that, like, all the players would just, like, go back to their hotel rooms by themselves and, like, play video games and FaceTime with their wives or whatever. And, like, that's fine. But that camaraderie was huge. And anyone that mentions playing with Rod Beck, they were like, yo, he was a phenomenal teammate. Love to talk baseball. Love to socialize. I mean, after the game... If I knew the team that I liked, they were just sitting around smoking cigs, you know, lighting some heaters, drinking some Keystone Light, and just talking baseball. Like, that's the camaraderie that wins baseball games. Like, you can sign all the free agents you want who individually put up good stats, but there's just something about really loving where you're at in life, whether that's in the clubhouse, on the field, away from the game, and just building, like, happiness in your life and it's that sort of stuff that does it everyone said he was a great teammate over everything else over every skill he possessed when in his prime seasons he was a damn good closer and could rack up saves right and what what was interesting with rod is i think rod was a very resilient pitcher right so 
1997 was his last year with the Giants, and he had lost his closing job. And sort of like that's why he was able to sign as a free agent with the Cubs in 98 because the Giants were like, listen, Rod sucks. We don't want him anymore. But Rod Beck had a phenomenal 1998 with the Cubs and helped them get into the postseason because they got a wild card berth. And this, to me, is such a baseball move. So (laughs) it's like the 10th inning, bottom of the 10th inning. Rod Beck loads the bases, right? And nobody's out. And the crowd is just booing the crap out of him because they're done with Rod. Like, the Giants are done with him. Like, the crowd's done with him. He'd already lost his closing job. It's like, whatever. Dusty Baker goes out there. True baseball guy. This is why Dusty Baker is the manager of the Astros. So Rod loads the bases, and Dusty Baker walks out there and looks at Rod and goes, Rod, you're my guy. Make this happen. So then Rod Beck strikes out Todd Zeal, next batter, former Cardinal catcher, strikes out Todd Zeal, then gets Eddie Murray, the next batter, on a, to bounce a splitter into an inning double play. 52,000 in the crowd went nuts, dude. And it's that perseverance on top of just being able to sit around and drink some beers and smoke some heaters where like beyond a lot of the numbers, you get a really good baseball player in there. Now in 2007, Rod Bat died of a drug overdose, right? So he, he struggled with substance abuse for years. Um, he passed away in a hotel room by himself, which is unbelievably sad. They found cocaine and heroin in the room. His wife now is an advocate for the mental struggles that folks go through when they struggle with substance abuse. Um, love Rod Beck to death, man. He was uh, buried in his Chicago Cubs jersey, and I think a lot of that was just maybe the fun he had in Chicago, sitting around, hanging out with the players. And plus, he was really, I feel like, pushed out of San Francisco in an unfair way, no doubt about that. Rod Beck, that's my guy. That's my closer. Okay, my last guy on the Dream Team. This is one of the most exciting stories that I think I've read. J.R. Richard. Okay, J.R. Richard was a young fireballer for the Houston Astros, right? I don't think a lot of folks actually know who J.R. Richard is, okay? And I'm about to tell you right now. Okay, hold on. Let me bring up my page. Who J.R. Richard was. Okay, J.R. Richard was a first-round pick, second overall Houston Astros drafted straight out of high school. As a high school senior, this kid was 6'8", 220 pounds. Let me tell you about what he did in some of his seasons. He only played 10 years, right? Things went a little bad for him health-wise. Okay, he had back-to-back 300 strikeout seasons. At the time, he was only the third player to record back-to-back 300 strikeout seasons. The other two guys, Sandy Koufax and Nolan Ryan, he led the league in strikeouts, case per nine, hits per nine, batting average against, because hitters would bat like a 209 against him. He'd give up like six hits per nine innings, but he walked about a million guys for like the first few years of his career. Like he was basically Ricky Vaughn. Like he would just throw heat and he'd hit a lot of guys, throw a lot of wild pitches and walk a lot of dudes. Like if Brett Favre was a major league pitcher, he'd be J.R. Richard. But this guy was legit, man. Listen, Johnny Bench and Dale Murphy, both of those guys, two-time MVPs. That's it. One's a Hall of Famer. One should be a Hall of Famer, right? They both said that J.R. Richard was the toughest pitcher they ever faced. And Dale Murphy said, if you ask anybody that faced J.R. Richard, James Rodney Richard of the Houston Astros, they would tell you he was the toughest pitcher 
that you ever saw. He struck out 313 guys in 1979, and Garrett Cole just broke that record this past season. Dude, Nolan Ryan was a Houston Astro for quite a while and never broke that record. He held the team's strikeout record until 1987. Yeah. And by the time, yeah, he was a high school senior. Holy crap, this is nuts. So he was 6'8", 220 pounds as a high school senior. And that same year, his senior year, he was a starting pitcher, obviously, for his high school, Lincoln High School. He didn't give up a damn run the whole season. Like, he just pitched a whole season of high school ball and didn't give up a run. In one game his senior year, he hit four consecutive home runs while pitching his team to a 48 to nothing victory against their rival high school team, right? He said his idol growing up was Bob Gibson. Yeah, no kidding, guy. It shows up in the numbers. Bob Gibson was a madman. He never, listen, his whole entire high school career, J.R. Richard never lost a game. This never did. In 1978, right, which was his first 300 strikeout season, he got 303 strikeouts. He broke the National League strikeout record. You know who had that record? Oh, only Tom Seaver, one of the best pitchers to ever live. And in 1978, when he struck out 300 dudes, he was only the 10th guy to do it, right? So, like, when I keep telling you about, like, the back-to-back strikeout seasons, passing Tom Seaver, holding the team record for season strikeouts on a team that Nolan Ryan played on for so long, J.R. Richard was doing things that were rarely being done and was doing them as well and better than all-time greats that we look at. Seaver, Koufax, Ryan, dude. This is crazy. <laughs> but listen, but remember when I talked about the walks, how he was a little wild? Listen, the second game in 1979, Richard, a record he still holds, set the modern day record. He threw six wild pitches in a single game <laughs> against the Dodgers. Dude, I love it, man. He was an all out guy, but he was still an absolute savage. That same year in 79, later on after he threw six wild pitches in a game, he threw nine straight complete games, ended up working 86 straight innings until he needed a relief pitcher, right? And that was the year hitters batted 209 against him, dude. Yeah, 100%. This guy was amazing, okay? But the walks in his career started to calm down. He cut his walks down drastically in 1979, and he finished third in Cy Young voting that year to Bob Suter and I think Phil Necro or something like that. But when you look at all of his stats now with like the knowledge we have, he should have easily been the Cy Young winner in 1979 because he was the best pitcher in all of baseball, hands down, and was damn near the best pitcher in 78. But... Gaylord Perry had a way better season that year because he won 21 games through 260 innings and had like a 2-7 ERA, right? So with J.R. Richard, right, he was only getting better. J.R. Richard starts the 1980 season pitching out of his mind, 10-4, and buck 90 ERA, 113 innings, 119 Ks. All of this is by the uh, all-star break. He also had a sub one whip. So this was the year his age 30 season. He had finally like figured out his control. So he was absolutely dominating everybody. But about two starts before the all-star break, he's like, 
man, like, because he was a right-handed pitcher. And he's like, man, like, my right forearm, my right shoulder, like, everything's, like, tingling. Like, I feel like I have a dead arm. Like, something doesn't feel right. So he, like, goes to the doctor. They do some stuff. They're just sort of like, I don't know, man. Like, you're good. Maybe you're just, like, tired or whatever, right? So he keeps pitching like he does. He's the starting pitcher for the National League All-Star team. Those two scoreless innings strikes out three guys in typical fashion who, I don't know, has a numb arm and can't feel his fingers. Like, he still did all that. And then about a week after the All-Star game, he had a massive stroke at the age of 30, which essentially ended his baseball career. Um, A lot of the numbness he had was due to the stroke, was also due to he had a extreme case of thoracic outlet syndrome, which basically starts in your neck and it sort of like cuts off flow of like an artery, which is why his right hand was like so numb and stuff. So outside of the stroke, the thoracic outlet syndrome probably would have did to him maybe what it did to Matt Harvey would have been one of those things where you can't recover from. Because when you have thoracic outlet syndrome, uh, you're good to pitch a few innings. So maybe he would have been like a good closer or reliever. But once you put so much strain on like, I guess like your clavicle and stuff like that, and that artery, that artery starts to get like stopped up and then your arm just like sort of goes numb and goes dead, right? But so he had a stroke at the age of 30. He was warming up on the field, just like playing catch before a game one day, collapsed, bro, just collapsed, right? So they take him to the hospital. He lives, he survives. They found out that he had had three minor strokes before this, right? Which means when he pitched two scoreless innings at the All-Star game, in 1980, he could have had a stroke that day, had severe thoracic outlet syndrome, couldn't feel half of his right arm, was supremely fatigued because he had recently had two or three strokes by that time, who really knows, and was still able to pitch well. Man, this, J.R. Richard, you want to talk about Bo Jackson being injured and not finishing his career. Eric Davis being injured, not finishing his career, right? Not seeing what those guys do. You get a guy like J.R. Richard, who in 1980 was the first year him and Nolan Ryan were teammates. It was obviously cut short because J.R. Richard's career ended, but J.R. Richard was the ace of that staff. And from 78, 79, and 1980, he was, I would say, by far the best pitcher in all of baseball. And I'm sort of, you know, I'm. You can watch his all-star game video, man. He had a great delivery, hard delivery, got some big swings and misses. And yeah, you can go to YouTube and watch the two innings he pitched in the all-star game. But I'm going to try to dig up some more videos on this guy, right? And J.R. Richard and a lot of the guys like I've named like J.R. Richard, Rob Beck, Keith Hernandez, Jimmy Rollins, Sabo, Parker, Davis, Jackson, like research these guys like on your time. Like we're in quarantine, right? Like we're not getting baseball and it sort of sucks. But these guys, especially J.R. Richard, man, one hell of a story. Just the amount of power this guy pitched with, like the God-given abilities, the talent, the freakishly huge size. Like this was one hell of a baseball player to watch. Uh, Well, that's the show. That's it. That's what I got, man. We're a little over an hour right now. So um, it took me, honestly, a week to record this whole thing. The first segment I recorded a week before what I recorded just now, which is recorded at about 5 a.m. on I don't know what day of the week it is, man. When you have a kid and you're stuck at home quarantine, all you really care about is where your next Cheeto is going to come from. Uh, dude, thanks for listening, man. I appreciate it. Find us all on Facebook, Greatest Show on Dirt. Twitter, Greatest on Dirt. Instagram, 
Greatest on Dirt, I think. <laughs> um, I, it's usually, honestly, just click the links in the description of this podcast. I've been posting, I think, some really fun stuff lately since I've been on quarantine. I'm working from home, and I'm doing more social media from home, and I'm finding a lot of good videos. Like, I found a video the other day of Reggie Jackson hitting a home run off John Denny and then circling the bases and then beating up John Denny after he circled the bases. Uh, I found out the Bo Jackson thing. We broke his bat. Did I say that on this podcast? Yeah, bro, Bo Jackson broke his bat. It sold for $14,000. Yeah, that's it. I'd buy it. No doubt. No doubt. But yeah, since the break, I've watched Tadeo Nomo's No Hitter on YouTube. I've watched uh, the 1991 World Series, Kirby Puckett, Twins Beat the Braves. That was a phenomenal series. Kirby Puckett's one of those guys, too, I feel like folks forget about, including myself. And I'm like, yo, he was elite, bro. Team leader, great player. Um, oh, Albert Bell's Grand Slam in the uh, like 95, 96 ALDS. You can watch that hole at bat on YouTube. It's so freaking tense. Yeah, it's um, honestly forget who he's facing, but the Indians are playing the Orioles. And yeah, it's the division series, not the championship series, but the division series. The Orioles actually won this division championship series, but Albert Bell hits his grand slam in the clutch, and it is one of the most tense at-bats because since the bases are loaded, they have to face Albert Bell, and Albert Bell was in his peak. And Albert Bell in his peak, I mean, he was as good a hitter as Griffey Jr., right? Could have been a little bit better. I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying that he was, but over 300 hitter, high on base, huge power. Go to YouTube, watch the Albert Bell Grand Slam at bat. Watch the whole thing, pitch by pitch, because the pitcher looks like he's about to have a nervous breakdown. Albert Bell is so focused. It, it's, dude, it is wild. You can see, like, in between pitches, the pitcher's, like, bending over, putting his hands on his legs. Like, he's like, damn it, man, I can't do this. This is going to turn out bad. It's like he knew Albert was going to hit a home run. He just didn't know how far it was going to go, and he was just trying to prepare himself for, I don't know, the end of his career, I guess. Um, that's it. Okay, I'll talk to you guys later. Until next time, stay safe. Uh, and uh, Yeah, I'll, I'll try to record soon, and just stay busy on YouTube, man. Fight the good fight. Keep watching some good baseball. And that's it. All right. Later, Gators. Gators.